morning again to everyone, and uh, as we uh, start this uh, message and study, um, especially for the benefit of our guests, uh, there's a gold insert in your service folder. Uh, please, if you could, take that out, even if you don't want to write on it, which, we're, you know, that would be even better. At least it'll give you a little bit of a guide as we uh, study God's Word um, together today. It's amazing how certain symbols can become synonymous with certain things. Um, as an example, you see this symbol and you right away think of... All right. Yeah, this is as easy as it gets, okay? All right. So I'm just... If you can't get this, then, you know, we need to probably have a tutoring session. Here's, the, here's, a, here's another one. How about this one? Make, all right, good. And you're awake. That's good. Um, there is another symbol that is that known and is that prevalent and it happens to be the primary symbol of Jesus and of Christianity and and that symbol is the cross. And I'll just have to tell you this, that the fact that the cross is the main symbol of Christianity is really weird. And here's why. Because 2,000 years ago, they would never have had crosses as jewelry. You would never have worn a cross around your neck. You would have never had crosses in your, on your ears. You would never have uh, tattooed a cross permanently onto your body. And the reason being is that when people thought of cross, they think of the same thing when you hear uh, of electric chair or when you think of syringe for lethal injection. The cross was an instrument of executing criminals. And in fact, we in our day and age try to be as humane as we can. Um, They didn't care about that. The cross was the worst way ever invented to kill someone. In fact, the word excruciating actually means out of the cross, ex, out of, cruis or cruciating, out of the cross. And yet, the weird thing is that we have crosses everywhere. The weird thing is that the cross has become the centerpiece of our hope as a Christian, our peace, and our joy. And in fact, um, when you read the Bible, especially the New Testament, because that's where the cross account is written, God doesn't just stick with one way to describe what happened on there or what happened there. He doesn't just say, Jesus died or Jesus forgives your sins. He gives us a bunch of different terms and a bunch of different words to describe the same event that happened on the cross because here's the thing, the more and different ways we describe something, the better a person understands. This is true with your relationship, with your spouse. If you just say the same thing all the time, I love you, um, it's good, but it can get stale. Um, Sometimes we need to be thinking about other ways to say it. Watch this. (laughs) All right, I got it. She's going to love it. Let's go. Whoa, how'd you find a card so fast? I'm speaker of lady language. I hear their voices in my head, much like Beethoven heard music. No, I think those are just voices. Either way, I've got a card, and 
you don't. I'm trying to find one with the right words. I just I can't find one that really describes how I feel. Here, this one. This one. This is the one. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, sugar is sweet and so is honey. I bought you this card because I had no money. <laughs> that is so you. No, it's not. Yes, it no, is. No, it's not. It's not me. What are you trying to say? I need a card that says, I don't deserve you. I never have, and I never will. From the moment that I first saw you, I knew that I wanted to be with you, to know you, to understand you. I am humbled that you chose me. I have married out of my league, and there's not a day that goes by that I don't recognize that fact. And I've never, I've never taken our vows lightly. What do I say to the mother of my children, my best friend, my soulmate? I love you can just sound so cliche and trite, but it's the only words that I know. I love you. I mean, that would be a card, you know? That would be a card that I'd want to buy. <laughs> What's the matter? What happened? What's the matter? It's like I'm a swimming pool, and your words are like cannonballs landing. Pull yourself together, man. Attention, everybody. We are in the presence of a true wordsmith. No, we're not. Allow his words to be the wings on which your cards fly. No, no. I want what he's having! Okay, we need to go. We need to go right now. I've got an idea. We'll get those cards that are blank on the inside, and we'll write your words on them, and then we'll give them to our ladies. But we have to write in calligraphy. I'm just going to take your card. Wait, wait, what was that part about the true uh, soulmates? I need a pen. I gotta write this down. That stuff is gold. That'll give me a whole Sunday of football. See, you get some marriage advice also along with the message today, but um, the point here is that whether it's your relationship with your spouse, um, first, first of all, that words matter, and that saying the same thing may not always have the same impact, but when we take the time to use other words, it can have a deeper impact. And the same thing is true with your relationship with God. And so God didn't just stop with, hey, everyone, Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. That is true, but he also gave us other words that are like cannonballs dropping into the pools of our hearts, right, to make an impact at times when maybe we have doubt or at times when maybe we aren't quite sure how a holy, just God could love us as sinful as we might be. And, and that leads us uh, to the main goal of this series that you'll find here. The, the main goal is this, that we would grow in a deeper understanding and also appreciation of the cross and of what Jesus did there. That through the study of these words in the Bible, that we're going to grow in our appreciation for the great love, not of your spouse as you read a card, but the great love of Jesus as you read his word. And as you hear these words that he inspired to be written. So today's word is justification. 
And um, sometimes we might know what that means when it comes to just normal common day use, but biblically speaking is what we're going to look at. And as I was thinking about a way to um, introduce the impact of justification, I couldn't help but, thinking, but think about going to the dentist. And while I am not one of those that is scared of drills and loud noises and going, not scared of going to the dentist, I will say that I'm apprehensive and nervous about it for a different reason, because I don't always know what he's going to find when he opens my mouth and takes a look. And as he takes out that silver scraper thing, and I can't talk because my mouth is wide open, I, I'm wondering, I just would like to ask, any cavities? And as he scrapes around and as he touches things and prods on things, I'm, I'm just hoping and that they're at the end, that things are okay between my teeth and my dentist, right? And I don't have to set up another appointment and that I don't have to spend more money. And I can't wait to hear from him, especially if it's the, if it's the news that I'm hoping for. Now, you might be thinking, Ben, you're, you're a little bit dramatic about going to the dentist. And it's true, I am being a little dramatic about that. But here's something that's not so dramatic. Or, or I should say, deserves that drama. Not, how are things between me and my dentist, but how are things between me and God? Not, what is the dentist going to say when he takes out the pokey thing and my exam is over? But instead, what is God going to say to me at the end of my life or on judgment day? And even for Christians, we at times have nervousness over this. And here's why. Because God built us with a conscience. He created us with a conscience. And so we have this daily reminder that we are not living up to the perfect standard that God has given to us. And sometimes we just try to ignore that little voice. But I'll tell you, it doesn't work. You can't just ignore the voice, that conscience, and pretend like it's not there. You know what that leads to? That leads to guilt and just a lot of, a lot of difficult days. Even for Christians like, like many of us, or maybe all of us are, um, there are days where we have questions about how things are with God because he's holy and just. He, he's the God over all billions of people, and I... <laughs> I'm just me. I've got this stuff in my heart that comes out in things that I think. We've talked about this before. If, if everyone knew what I thought, I'd have no friends. If everyone knew what you thought, you'd have no friends. And yet God knows what I think. And he's perfect. And how can there be this good relationship? And guess what? The answer to that question is justification. Um, there are certain messages from the Bible and from here that speak to your heart. For instance, um, if any of you know the parable of the prodigal son, that's a parable that speaks to your heart. There's the son who squandered his father's inheritance on, on just bad living, and he has nothing. He's eating from um, pig pens. He decides, I'm going to go home. Hopefully my dad will let me be a servant. And as he's coming home, his dad runs to him with open arms and says, you are my son. I'm glad you're home. And that is a message from the Bible that speaks to our hearts. There are other messages in the Bible that speak to your mind. 
What I mean by that, there are certain sections of scripture that really dig into, how can this be? Okay, I know the Father, you know, welcome this. How can that be? That does not seem normal. It doesn't seem like it could actually be true or work. How can this be that a perfect holy God would love me? This is a message and this is a word that speaks to your mind more than your heart. It gives you the inner workings of how God could love us and forgive us. And in fact, we're going to be taking verses from a whole letter that speaks to your mind more than your heart. It's, it's a letter that Paul wrote to um, some Roman Christians. And in this letter, he really digs into what I'll call the inner workings of faith. So here's the thing. It's not going to be as an emotional of a message today. You're going to have to keep your mind engaged. But at the end, as you do, you're going to better understand why God forgives you and why you can be confident that when the dentist is done with the exam, he's going to say, you have no cavities. All right. With that in mind, we turn to uh, Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 20. Um, Paul writes about our relationship with God. He says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous. And every time we come to the word righteous today, I want you to either you know, write this on your gold sheet or if you've got your Bible open, circle righteous and write above it, a right standing with God. That's what righteous is, a right standing with God. What does a right standing with God mean? Well, you know what a wrong standing with someone is? That's when you've had a disagreement and every time you get together with them, it's like weird. Like you're still nice, you still talk nicely to them, but like you're like in your mind, oh, great, what happened? I, I, all right, I need to get ready for that. I need to be nice. You know, have, have you ever had that with someone? I know you have, all right? That's a wrong standing. There's something between us. It's awkward. A right standing is when there's nothing between us. It's easy. There's a good relationship. And what Paul says is, no one will have a right standing with God by observing the law. No one's going to have a good relationship with God by doing the right things. It's not going to earn you a good standing. Now, have you ever tried to have a good standing with God by doing the right things? Yes, you have. In fact, this is what comes most naturally to us. And you know why it comes naturally to us? It's because in every other relationship in life, it works. So you get a speeding ticket, and you are now in a wrong standing with the government. How do you get into a right standing? Emma said, you, you pay the ticket. You do something. You're in a wrong standing with your teacher. How do you get into a right standing? You go to detention, or you do whatever the teacher tells you to do to get back into a right standing. You're in a wrong standing with your spouse because you forgot your anniversary. You don't get into a right standing. Oh. <laughs> Ever again. <laughs> no. You get into a right standing by maybe buying an extra large gift and especially never letting it happen again. Two times and you're out, that's for sure. In life, in those relationships, this works by doing things. But Paul says, and this is, I'm sorry, this is why we try to do that. Paul says, you can't have a right standing with God by observing the law. Rather, 
Through the law, or through, yeah, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Through God's rules, you recognize and realize, I don't have a right standing with God. I'm not perfect. God is holy, and I'm not. And so our, our first fill-in today, as we understand justification, you, you have to first realize that you can't have a right standing with God on your own. To understand God's grace, you have to understand it is impossible to have a right standing with him on our own. Verse 21. But, change of thought, but now there is a right standing, a righteousness from God that is apart from the law. So instead of a right standing coming from us, Paul says, but... There is a way to have a right standing that will come from God. And it has nothing to do with the law. In fact, it's been, it has been made known, and it also is something which the law and the prophets testify about. This, uh, this way of getting right with God is something that the whole Old Testament, the law and the prophets, they pointed ahead towards. A different way. A new way to be right with God. This right standing, verse 22, from God comes through faith, in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Verse 22. Uh, second part of 22. And then Paul says this. He says, There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what we naturally think? There is a difference between people. There is a difference. And God's saying when it comes to Living up to the glory or perfection of God, there is no difference. Now, you need to realize this, that there is no difference at two different times in your life. The and, and these things happen every single day, one or the other. The first time or the first sort of situation you need to recognize there's no difference is when you're feeling pretty good about your following of God and it leads you to compare yourself to other people and to have the pride over, you know what, I've never even seen the light on at their house on Sunday morning. They sleep in till noon. Our family gets up and goes to church at least three times a month. We're better in God's eyes. And what Paul would say is that there's no difference when it comes to meeting God's requirement. There's no difference between you and them. Another time that we need to understand this verse is when we're feeling especially low about something that we've done or something in our past and feel like there's no way God could love me, especially compared to all these other people that look so good and so Christian, and we need to go back to the same verse when we're in despair and, and be reminded what Paul says. There's no difference. There's no difference. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. You see, anything less than God's perfection is not good enough. When I, uh, when I was a kid, 
we took a trip to California one year and we went to Disneyland in, in LA area. And one of the rides that I wanted, I can remember to go on the most was uh, um, one of these cars that goes along a track and you get to drive it. And remember, I'm like seven, eight years old, nowhere near getting my driver's license. So being able to drive something is kind of a, a cool thing. So we're standing in line for a long time. It's Disneyland and, um, and I've got my, I'm, got my car all picked out that I want, and, I, as, and as soon as it's our turn and the attendant opens the gate, I, I pretty much start sprinting towards the car, but before I got through the gate, the attendant steps over and stops me, says, son, come on over here. And you know where he took me to? The heights chart, okay? <laughs> and in order to be able to drive your own car, you had to be this tall, and I was this tall. And I'm man enough to admit that uh, my eyes welled up with tears and I was on the verge of a, of a breakdown um, as I wanted to drive uh, that car and, and the guy looks at me, the attendant, and he says, I'm sorry. And I'm thinking, you don't need to be sorry and I don't need to be sad if you would just let me through the gate into my own car to drive, right? And after me, there was a couple other kids that came, and they were even shorter than I, and their eyes are filled with water. And now we've got three or four kids. I'm the tallest. I'm the closest. And because I'm the closest, guess which one of the kids the attendant let drive their own car? None of us! <laughs> because there is no difference. You're all too short and can't drive your own car at Disneyland. And I don't care, son, if you're a half an inch short or if you're three inches short than the height, you have to be this tall. And if you're not, can't go. We are so easily think of God as the guy with the sticker chart and that he loves me more on the weeks that I've got more stickers and good things next to my name. Does he love your good things? Does he love them? Yes. Does his love get based on that? No, and that's Paul's point. You're either perfect or you're not. You're either perfect or you need help to have a right standing with God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, verse 24. And though all are justified. Now here's our word. It's a part of justification. The, the, the meaning of justify or justification means to give someone a right standing. It's actually a court term where a judge would look at someone and tell them, you are now in a right standing with the court and with the government. Or another way to say that, you are not guilty. We declare you to be not guilty. And he says that you are justified freely. If you look at the Greek for freely, guess what it means? Free. Exactly. You're justified freely. It's for free by grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Verse 25. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. There's a lot going on in that verse. The depth of that verse is pretty gory. 
what it says is that the only payment that would do for sin was the blood of Jesus. And Good Friday, 2,000 years later, is always so clean and so nice. And on that first Good Friday, there was, there was blood everywhere. I doubt most of us could have even watched crucifixion. Blood on the cross, blood all over your Savior, blood on his head, blood on his hands. It was a gory, gory, don't let the kids see, don't you even see, type of event. And it was through that event that we have a right standing. Our fill-in number two. Jesus purchased our right standing with God. You can't have it on your own, but Jesus purchased it. Now, here's a question. Again, remember we're speaking to your mind today? Here's a question that if you've never thought about it, you should. Why did God need to make his son suffer so much? If God's in charge, why couldn't he just look the other way? When you're in charge, you have the choice, right? Your, your child can either you know, make up for what they've done, or you can just forgive it. You're in charge. Why did Jesus have to suffer so much? Why couldn't God have just looked the other way on our sin? And Paul gives us the answer. He did this, see where I'm at, third line? He did this, that is, have Jesus die to demonstrate his justice. And speaking to your mind, God is holy, God is perfect, God is just. And what it means that God is just is that he is always fair, he never gets anything wrong, and he cannot, it is not part of his nature, he cannot look away from sin and leave it unpunished. Because if he did, he would cease to be holy and perfect and just. God needed payment. And he allowed his son to take the payment in our place. In order to do what? In order to justify you. Because in his forbearance or in his patience, God left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. All that's saying is that the sins that were committed before Jesus died, he didn't condemn all those people to hell, all the Old Testament people. Those who believed in the promise of a Savior, he saved through faith in that coming Savior, and he had patience as he left those sins unpunished. Again, he did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and also the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So here's the courtroom scene. God, the Father, is the judge. Black robe, standing there, gavel in hand, okay? Who's standing as the accused in the courtroom? You, you could say me, but then I would say, and you, okay? Us, exactly. And the accusation, the charge, is that you sinned at least once in your life. And you plead, okay, yeah, guilty. 
and God the judge. What would it say to you about the judge if he said, yeah, who cares, and looked the other way? How long would a judge like that stay as judge? You, you call that a crooked judge. You would call that a bad judge. God is not crooked and he's not bad. So when he looks at you, he too has to say guilty. But then God allowed for his son to pay the fine, to pay the price, and actually take our place in the accused stand. And now the father, this is justification, looks at his perfect son and he says, what? Not guilty. Right standing with me. And this is the amazing part of justification. It helps you understand how a just God could forgive you. And in fact, that's exactly what Paul says at the end here. So as to be that God would be both just and one who forgives. To be both just and one who gives a right standing with him. How can he be both? The answer is his son. Now, I've talked to your heart for a while. Let's fill in our last, uh, fill, in, I'm fill in the blank. I've talked to your mind for a while, I should have said. At the cross, God is both just and the justifier or the forgiver. I've talked to your mind for a while. Let me close by talking to your heart. H how does this deep theology make a difference? When my kids were younger, at least two of them, while I was mowing the lawn, would want to help me. And so our lawnmower is the push kind, and there's the bar up here that you know, I would hold on to to push the mower. And then in order to keep the, the two um, metal rods sturdy, there's another bar down here to, to keep them from, you know, to keep them sturdy. And so oftentimes when, you know, three, four years old, I'd be pushing here and, and they'd ask if they could come and push down here. So, you know, I would stand here and they would stand here and we'd kind of push and, and, and spend some time together. Um, it's funny because as we were, as we would mow on a hot day, um, sometimes they would be more sweaty and do more grunting than I would. And I will tell you, they were not doing anything. They just thought they were. In fact, it was most of the time like an anchor trying to pull them, especially on turns, and you know, they're kind of turning around, right? And, and to me, it was like, why don't you just, you know, I love spending time with you, but you don't need to sweat here and get tired. Just go inside in the air conditioning and have some lemonade, right? <laughs> you know what Justify tells you? Go inside in the air conditioning and have some lemonade when it comes to the assurance that you can have about salvation. We grunt and moan and sweat trying to have God love us at times. He already does. And he proves that through his son's sacrifice that took your place on the cross. You're already justified. Live for him, absolutely. Don't try to push the mower to heaven. The Father and His Son has already earned it for you. Be at peace. Yeah, repent. Leave your life of sin, as Jesus told the, the, that woman caught in adultery. But as you do, remember, you are forgiven. 
you are justified. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word that sort of explains very complicated things, and I pray that this message was a blessing to many people today. Lord, as we uh, come to you in prayer, we thank you for the faith that you worked in the, the heart of our sister Shirley Bartels, who was called home to heaven this week. We thank you that you justified her on the cross through your son, and, and that she is now enjoying the uh, uh, the eternity that you won for her. Continue to be with Dawn and Brad and the family as uh, they adjust to this new chapter of life without their mother. Lord, we also thank you um, for the blessing of a, uh, a son that you blessed uh, to uh, Ben and Anna Burke this week. We ask you to continue to be with the Burke family and uh, guide and bless them as uh, they uh, bring up their children in the truths of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray.